This episode of Modern Bonsai is brought to you by Bonsai N's online bonsai shop. If you are after quality tools that will last a lifetime but won't break your bank, then head to www.bonsaien.shop. That's bonsai-en.shop. Browse our premium online store and experience the bonsai and difference. Shipping to Australia, USA, Canada, United Kingdom and Italy. Modern Bonsai listeners, today we have a treat for you. I am joined by Anthony Smith from Willow Bonsai in South Africa. Anthony has developed a new Akadama product that has hit the market and is very promising. So, like always, sit back, relax, and hear about this high-quality Akadama. topic that we're going to be chatting about today which is obviously Akadama but before we do go ahead and dive headfirst into that because I'm pretty sure we're going to get pretty deep into that <laughs> we're going to go down a massive rabbit hole today I think but before before we go deep let's just hear a little bit about yourself and your bonsai journey so far. Yes so pretty much I started I would say about 20 years ago, when I was about 12, 13 years old, got to see Bonza for the first time. Really, it changed my life quite dramatically. I was actually going to become a pilot. And then with everything that happened, I changed all my subjects in school and took on horticulture and then started working as a landscape architect uh, for about 10, 12 years. And Bonza being the addiction that it is, uh, it eventually came right back around and we started our own nursery. We Then from that, we got the opportunity to start our own pottery uh, that my wife works in and she runs that sort of part of it. And we always just, especially in South Africa, we always trying to do things, you know, improve upon stuff and try and see if we can, you know, introduce new products. And especially with the pottery, we constantly evolving all of the time. Um, so much so that the bonsai trees are sort of being, wouldn't say neglected, but there's there's less of the nursery trees than what they used to be, and now we're more into the pottery side. But yeah, I can't say enough of how bonsai has actually changed my life for the better. Um, I couldn't really live without it, and I think there's a lot of people that listen to these things that you know they they feel exactly the same. They wouldn't be where they are today without it. Yeah, and obviously. Like you said before, you're in South Africa. So what is, what's the bonsai scene like there at the moment in South Africa and how much has it grown, say, over the last 10 years? So it is growing steadily. Um, there's, there's two main areas in South Africa where the bonsai scene is quite vibrant. So it would be more the high felt around Johannesburg, where we are in Pretoria, that's sort of the more sort of metropolitan area and then around Cape Town as well, which is now further towards the south around the coast. There's there's a lot of good growers in, in these two areas. Not saying that there isn't good growers everywhere else, but there's smaller communities outside of these two sort of main areas. And weirdly enough, when we had our huge lockdown in 2020, 2021, we found that a lot of people being stuck at home 
and not having anything to do, we had an influx of new requests for like beginners classes and a whole bunch of sales and you know people that we would have never even thought of dealing with and they it just went crazy so there's been a lot of extra interest and we find that it's growing at a very very nice rate uh, people are getting educated there's better platforms out there so it, it's making a huge difference just in south africa just the quality is improving a lot more than if you like say like you said 10 years ago um definitely a huge improvement in like the last two years specifically and with, with that new influx of people coming into bonsai in south africa do you have any kind of show to support that interest yes yeah, so there's various shows around the country uh we do shows once a year at one of the very big uh shopping centers that's quite close to us in Pretoria, and we sort of work hand in hand with them, uh, the Japanese embassy as well. So we've got quite a nice little setup there, and we've had a lot of people, especially at a at a shopping center, that are doing their basic day-to-day things that they need to do, and then come across the bonsai trees, and they become amazing friends of ours. And you know, we've we've had shows before where it's been at a garden center or you know, specific sort of center for, for horticulture or something like that. We actually find it's actually better to be in a shopping center where the public is than where garden center where people are really into horticultural stuff. Uh, so we've had a lot of good people come through and they obviously get the opportunity to show their trees once a year. We do a nice big show, set it up nice and professionally that it that it's, gives them a good grounding and then the public can have a look they can talk to the people so it's a very nice back and forth informal sort of show to to get the public involved and then also to get some experience for our members yeah it's funny that you say that because even i've noticed that you know when you first see bonsai you you figure that it's a very well i mean it is a niche art to begin with but you you Mm -hmm. feel like the people who would get into bonsai would be a very niche audience as well. Like you feel like it's probably just people who do martial arts or people who have some kind of a a Japanese background or something like that. But at least in our nursery here anyway, the people that come through here, you get all walks of life that are, you know, they're starting to get into bonsai. It's not just those people who are in those, those little niche categories of, you know, martial arts or, you know, oriental background. A couple of weeks ago, we actually had some guys here doing some work on our solar system on the house. And, you know, as soon as they finished, the, one of the guys that was working here wanted to buy a bonsai. And, you know, yeah, it's, <laughs> so I guess being in a shopping center is, you know, fantastic for that because it's just giving the people that exposure to it that might not have seen it in the first place. I mean, you know, when I did the podcast with Robert Pressler, we spoke about, um, you know, the influence of bonsai these days in movies and TV. Um, that That's really helping push uh, bonsai forward. So, and, you know, what you're doing, being in a shopping centre around people while they're doing their day-to-day thing, even if they don't stop in and buy something or interact, it's probably still just putting that seed in their mind, you I know? Agree. Yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah, it's amazing to see what's happening worldwide. You you look at the likes of Ryan Neal, who had Robert Downey Jr. buy a tree from him. 
Uh, you've got Bjorn that's got Tommy Lee from Motley Crue that's doing bonsai. And the Instagram profiles are showcasing that. And that that's just great for the bonsai community worldwide because it just opens our audience up to, to so many more people that can then start to enjoy this. Yeah, well, I mean, you just mentioned Tommy and he's up to his neck in bonsai at the moment. Like, And <laughs> y- you look at how many followers he has on instagram and facebook and the amount that he's continually posting you know pictures of bonsai and visiting bonsai nurseries and things like that it's you know upping that exposure all around the world because i can imagine you know his followers are very very well spread out throughout the world so yes you did mention earlier too um i just want to go back a little bit you said that in South Africa at the moment, there's kind of a shift from concentrating on the plants and moving more into things like pottery. Um, what What is the situation at the moment with your nursery stock? Are there large-scale growers there, or is it more just regular nurseries that are selling, you know, straight up and down staked stock that's harder to work with? Or, you know, what have you got access to? So there are a few growers that are sort of doing large-scale growing. Uh, there's a couple of guys in Cape Town that are doing very good things, importing also Japanese material, uh, stuff from China as well. Um, pricing a little bit tricky when it comes to that type of thing because obviously with all the costs these days. And then there's there's a whole bunch of people that are doing growing in, in sort of like the one guy's got about 10, 15,000 trees that are all on benches that are being slowly, slowly designed. Everything from wild olives to our native material um, and then a lot of other different species. But we've got a few people. There's one uh, company in Johannesburg that supplies to some of the bigger sort of retail uh, sort of shops that that normally do groceries. And then they've got like your flowers and your your, your plants and that that they sell at the entrances and they've got a few little trees that they they put at the different sort of venues all the way around the country and that that's also helping you know get people into it you know the the air conditioning and stuff like that doesn't really help but yeah it's it's at least you know it's a means to an end um, it's like those figs that you get from overseas it's the same sort of type of effect um but yeah there's there's good material there's a lot of older growers bonsai in south africa i think is about 80 years old since they first sort of started and had associations and that sort of thing and you know there's some really really good material out there from some of the other growers and people that are maybe you know giving up their collections so that comes into into the fold quite often and then we've got very good areas where we dig so we've got a couple of places on the coast where we dig very beautiful wild olives. We've got one or two in the garden here, and the one we've estimated to be about 600 years old. Uh, it's amazing, amazing stock that one can get there, and it's all with permits. They're actually going to be building warehousing. So we get a chance to go in there, remove the trees before they just get put on a heap and thrown a match in there, That that's yeah, which is terrible. But yep. yeah, lots of lots of good species to work with a lot of it is our native species we don't really get indigenous junipers and pines and things like that there are certain pines that we can work with radiata we get from a place uh, in the western cape which is actually stuff that they're using for the forestry so you come into the nursery and you've got little 
it looks like little bonsai trees. They've got perfect little branch structure and everything. And all they've been doing is they've been doing cuttings on these plants for, say, five to ten years. And that's dwarfed all these trees. And then when they get to a point, they start removing them because they need to refresh the the stock and we go in and we can get some really really good stock like that so lots of opportunities um yeah we we, we spoil for choice unfortunately in south africa yeah and that's cool too um radiata is a pine that we work with here as well and and you know it's awesome that they're they're doing all that almost like pre-bonsai work for you all the cutback getting the taper in the tree getting the you know the little trunk thicker and um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good opportunity. So what kind of environment are you working with there in South Africa? Do you have like a proper cold dormancy or is it, um, you know, like a tropical um, environment? What are you working with? That, that's where it becomes really tricky because South Africa is so diverse with what we have. We've got very cold, I felt, um you know, places like Johannesburg and there's other places that are a little bit more sort of in elevation and it can get really, really cold. We can get minus, I think some of the places minus 10, 12 degrees centigrade uh, with frost and all that sort of thing. So that that's really good for some of the species. Further here by Pretoria, we, we're not as high as in Johannesburg, so we don't get a severe cold weather, but we still need to protect our figs and our more fragile sort of things. Um, and then you go down to the coast, sort of on the east coast, where you've got Durban, and, and that is fully, fully tropical, um, very green. All the fixed species in South Africa, all the really good stuff, originates from that sort of area. And then as you go further south down the coast, you get more your sort of arid stuff, like your wild olives will grow there. Um, things like Badlia, Saligna also grow there, very good trees. And then you get to the Cape area, which is known for proteas, and it's got so much diversity. And they can almost, like where we've got a pine and you can't put it in the full afternoon sun, it will just die. In the Cape, you can actually have a full day sun, and it's not as harsh where they are compared to where we are. So there's so much variation in, in the growing you know, conditions for everyone that, you know, not one thing fits everyone, uh, which makes it interesting because people are experimenting and getting different sort of ways of doing stuff. But yes, it, it's very similar to, I think, like I've seen in the US, I've got various different zones that one works with and you've got to obviously know how to mix your growing media and you've got to do all sorts of things slightly different to, to the rest of them. So it, it does make it interesting. But yeah, there's we've got from tropical to desert to high altitude it's one of the reasons why there's such a diversity naturally in in south africa yeah it sounds very similar to australia um we we have a lot of those very different zones you know you, you drive an hour away from here and the environment changes dramatically you know especially especially the cold it gets colder as you go inland and warmer as you get out further to the coast um, but before we before we move on to the, the Akadama, um, tell us a little bit about uh, your bonsai shop that you have there, Willow Bonsai. That's correct. So we've 
started it, I think, around about 2014. We started Willow Bonsai. Uh, it's named because we're in an area called the Willows uh, in Afrikaans, which is one of the languages in South Africa. Uh, it's called Die Volger. So Volger is, is a willow. Uh, so we decided to name it after that because there was nothing very similar. And in Japanese culture, willows and that are, have got a, quite a cool history and, you know, especially in the Japanese culture, it's just amazing to see what they do and how it's sort of entwined in, in their, their culture. So we we started this out and it was literally because of my bonsai passion. I started to sell a few pots, started to get some trees together, work some material and slowly, slowly the nursery expanded that at one stage we had about a thousand five hundred trees on the property. And we've we at this point we're reducing because there's just not enough time in the day. I wish the days were a lot longer, like any bonsai professional would want. And We've, we've just sort of slowly, slowly worked forward, built an online store, uh, got presence, you know, worldwide from the demonstrations that I've been invited to. Tony Tickle from the UK invited me to do demonstrations because of the work that he's seen I've done. Um, and it's allowed me access to going overseas, spending time with uh, Rafael Torres in Mallorca. We did a month apprenticeship there where I took two of my students as well that won the National New Talent Contest in, in, I think it was 2017, and I think in 2019, Josh won it. So they came with me to experience that whole sort of thing in Mallorca. And it's just opened up so many friends, so many people that we're getting to know in the Bonsai community. It's just been fantastic. Uh, I can't, I'm so thankful for just the little opportunities that we've had and being able to grab that. Um, so it's helped obviously with with our, our store and the pottery that we're doing, getting exposure to put our pots overseas. So the, the shop at the moment is purely sort of online. We do a lot of our sales through there. We put our pots on there. And then we do a lot of exporting as well, US, uh, UK. Uh, we've got a few other places that we send into smaller quantities, but it, it's just exploded. But with passion, with doing a lot of hard work and graft, it it does surely pay off. And we're very thankful to, especially to be able to work with my wife, be having time, you know, during the day that we can spend together. Um, it's been good for her not having to work a normal nine to five job in an office, being able to do something creative and really see your work out there being showcased. So it's evolved it, it's been very interesting to see how far we've come in not even 10 years and yeah we, we're very thankful for everything that's happened and all the friends and colleagues that we've got worldwide yeah and obviously your wife is very heavily involved in the pottery side uh, of the business and and some of the pots that you got there so yeah that's great that you know you get to do what you love every day and that that's working out for you and I'm sure it's going to get bigger and bigger, you know, especially um, now that you are, you know, exporting the, the Akadama, you know, to, to various parts of the world, like we have it here in Australia now. Um, so obviously what we're talking about there is your new, let's call it a variant of Akadama, which you call Sakadama, which basically just stands for South African Akadama. Is that correct? 
That's correct, yes. Yeah, we came up with the name just as a abbreviation off of Akadama, um, just to play, uh, play on words. Yeah, and so let's just start off with the makeup of Akadama because when we when we talk about um, you know the the normal Akadama, what we would know is um, red ball clay or red balls, you know, wh- whatever you would want to call it, the the Japanese variant of it that we're used to now. Um, what what are the main differences in makeup between the regular Akadama that we're used to and Sakadama? Yes, so it is still a clay. Um, there's a very nice clay deposits in South Africa just outside of Johannesburg where this company that I that I met with and started doing research with you know we, we figured out what we could do and it was actually amazing in the beginning to re- see that there is actually a local supply of obviously it's it's not the, exactly the same as what Akadama is Akadama is a little bit more of a mixture of different clays where this deposit is more of a pure sort of um, clay deposit that we've got. Um, the main sort of differences and, and why there's differences is because we wanted to create something different. Um, we realized that in certain places in the world, and especially here as well, there, there are problems with Akadama growing it in high humid sort of heat temperatures uh, where it breaks down too quickly. And then the sort of versa of that being in very cold areas where they can't use Akadama because it just can't take the freeze-thaw cycles that they have. So we decided let, let's do something different. Let's add a couple of extra processes. So what we do is it gets mined. Uh, it goes through crushing machines. It then gets calcined, which is a heating process that gets it up to about 600 degrees uh, centigrade. And that creates a nice hard particle that can still be broken up. So you can take your fingernails and you can actually still break it. And with water, it will obviously soften it, but it won't what we call passively scale like Akadama does. Um, The other things that we've seen is it's got a slightly lower CEC or cation exchange capacity for nutrient absorption as the normal Akadama, but which is around about 11 or 12 on on that sort of uh, spectrum. But we find that it holds its CEC capacity for longer. So a lot of people, and we've had a couple of sort of interactions because it's a new product, asking is it pumice because it's very hard. Pumice doesn't have a CEC rating. So, you know, we've still got the nutrient absorption. It's got the advantage of being harder, so it will last a little bit longer, but it's got the advantage of being able to break down still with the roots, which we call active scaling. So the roots of the bonsai will actually break it down and it won't do it by itself. It's also got a little bit more water holding capacity, so that will help with watering schedules, all that sort of thing. Um, however, because it's a different product, one does need to get used to it like anything else. If you're trying it in mixes and you're trying to do something, you know, you have to get used to it. But the, the main things is it is a very pure clay. It's got a tubular-like structure, which is exactly the same as what you see under a microscope with uh, Akadama. 
and it's got a nice pH as well. It's got a seven to eight pH range. So you can then introduce it and it's not going to then, you know, require major um, changing one way or the other, depending on your, your trees. You can obviously use that with different growing, growing substrates. So that is the main ones that we looked at was to make sure that it is a good product that can work in more versatile areas um, and really make the best sort of product that we can. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are seeing it as much as we are in South Africa as we are here in Australia, and I know they are in the United States, but one of the big problems around the world at the moment is very low quality Akadama hitting the market that, like you said, it passively breaks down. It's breaking down in the bag. You, you get a bag full of dust, essentially. Um, you know, it crushes in your hand and it just basically turns to a, a solid clay in a matter of no time, um, especially in those extreme environments of, you know, where it's really hot and there's you know, higher amounts of water happening or the three freeze-thaw cycles, um, you know, so we'll, we'll jump into all that soon. But, I mean, it, it's just good to know that we have another high-quality source of Akadama coming into the market because right now it's so flooded and I think that's affecting people's views on Akadama a little bit just because they're probably being exposed to more low quality Akadamas than they are the high quality stuff. And obviously that's leaving a somewhat of a sour taste in people's mouth. Correct. And, you know, we've, we don't have a lot of import Akadama. There's literally one or two suppliers here in South Africa and not a lot of the bonsai community actually uses it. Um, it's very old school with, compost and rock or river sand, you know, very basic sort of media that people are, are, are using and they've been using it for years. So we sort of right at the beginning of educating people in South Africa, showcasing, you know, what Akadama can do. And especially with this Akadama that it's, it's harder because we also found that within a year, it would break down that you would have to repot you would start getting problems with trees, with dieback, um, drying out too fast that you start losing material. So there is a little bit of a, you know, a problem with the outlook of it. First of all, cost. And then second of all, people not really getting the results that they intended from Akadama with, for that sort of price point that you're paying. So that's why when, when we looked at this, you know, we don't have a lot of experience in this country because of what, you know, we've the only few suppliers, but with my experience of seeing it in Spain, working with Rafa with the bags that he was using and literally having to sieve every single bag that we use because of natural breakdown in the bag because of delivery and the quality of the media that they were getting and seeing how frustrated Rafa was, was getting with the media um, and then seeing you know, what other people were experiencing, that's why when we started this all off, we realized we, we can't just make a normal Akadama, which, which is very possible. We could just sort of heat, treat this to 300 degrees and you would have something very similar. But we, we wanted to go in with something better um, that, that we could at least, you know, improve standards and help people because at the end of the day, you know, we all want to see people's trees 
growing well and you know helping the new guys you know have a nice stable media that that's at least not going to change in quality yeah and you know it's true in what you say about some of the people still using the old school mixes whether that might be some like pine bark and you know river sand and those kinds of kind of things in the bonsai pot and it kind of reminds me of you know, you see this older generation with new technology and, you know, if they're trying to get directions to go somewhere, they won't use Google Maps or, you know, anything on their phone. They'll want to get out the old paper map or the the book and, well, this is what I used in my day. This is what works. And they don't want to try the new stuff, you know, and it's it's like I don't think they realise the results that they would get from the new stuff if they if they did try it, you know, because they're so... Obviously, what they've been using for all those years is working for them. That's why they stick to it and why they keep using it. But I think if they they jumped on board with the, you know, the inorganic materials and tried them, they would probably, you know, see those results. And and I know that this new this new sakadama that you've got will, so far, what I've seen from it, it's going to maybe ease some of the what would you call it it would ease some of the concerns that people have with akadama i know one of the big concerns that i hear a lot about akadama is well i don't want to water my trees 20 times a day and i believe that your particular akadama has a higher moisture retention than the regular stuff correct so it's about i think it's about 20 percent more moisture absorption and the reason for that is when you calcine a product and that's why acodama doesn't it actually holds surface moisture so when you heat treat the product you're opening up all the little pores inside because as far as i can remember if you look at a gram of sacodama you've got 92 square meters of surface area which sounds absolutely crazy. I've had people come back to me and say, can you check your data because it it can't be right. Um, And it's because of that heat treatment. So we're opening up those pores and allowing more space where the water can go and accumulate on the surface area. And that is still available. So out of the 65% of moisture uptake, you've got 63% available to the root system that it can then absorb. It's obviously not sitting in the moisture, so it's not breaking down, you know, by itself and then creating less aeration and all that sort of thing. So you don't have problems with root rot or anything like that. And we've we've seen a, a huge improvement just with our trees. Um, we've had probably about a good year already, and the trees are growing fantastically. We're getting finer ramification, which was always a problem with, with our, our growing of our bonsais and that here. And we found it was just, it's just easier to manage your your collection because you've got a good media that's not breaking down. You don't have compost that's that's compacting under the root ball, which we had issues with before. So it, it's making our life easier. And we found with the tests of our old mixes with the new mixes is the sacodama will last longer. So there's almost more of a buffer compared to the older mixes of watering and that sort of thing. So the old mix will dry very quickly, where the new Sakodama mixes will last a good few hours longer. That that helps, obviously, with 
you know, damages and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and obviously like any any bonsai mix, you can control the amount of moisture available to the tree throughout the day by changing your ratios and your particle sizes. So I guess that's just a part of the the whole Akadama or inorganic mix experience where you've just got to learn to to make things in different ratios and, you know, really do the science on what type of tree that you're putting in it, how much moisture that tree requires throughout a season, what kind of season you have, what kind of bonsai pot you're in. And like like you said, even in South Africa or here in Australia, you, you travel a little bit and it's, and it's completely different. So it's up to the grower to try and do those experiments, try and do those different mixes and um, experiment with those. Because I know here a lot of... Um, like my maples and stuff, I put that in 100% Akadama um, just to get that high availability of moisture available to the tree. And then the thing with that is, is with the traditional Akadama, you know, it, it's breaking down within 18 months or so. So with the deciduous trees, I can repot them every two years. That's fine. But I wouldn't want to be doing that same thing with a, a juniper or a pine, for example. So then we need to mix it with the you know, kiddie or pumice or whatever we might be mixing with, lava rock, those kinds of things. Um, but another thing that you um, mentioned there before was um, the cation exchange capacity or the CEC of your Akadama. Um, so you were saying that it has a slightly lower cation exchange capacity than the traditional Akadama, but you did also say too about the pH being more neutral. So in my mind, at least anyway, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to me that kind of evens out because if you're using traditional Akadama, I've found it to be more acidic in its pH levels, which means you've got to kind of adjust your fertilizer regime a little bit where to me with a more neutral pH maybe that's not going to be the case. Is that something that you found within your testing? Yeah, so it's been a lot easier to to grow, and especially the olives, we found it's working fantastically because this, the olives that we work with and even with when I spoke to Rafa, they prefer more alkaline pH. So all of our previous mixes were more acidic um, because of pine bark and all the other stuff that we had in. So that's already made a huge impact with that. Um, but we find that, you, you know, your general Akadama pH is around about 6.9. Um, it probably depends on the quality and what you're getting and all that. So it could possibly vary quite a bit. Um, where the Sakadama being between 7 and 8, you know, it, it's very easy to then bring in other substrates or, you know, manipulate that to get exactly what you want to. So we've actually got a, a what we call a pH buffer that we use for certain of the trees that are looking for a little bit more acidity. And we then put that in, which will it absorb it and it will change the pH, you know, short term. But that's part of our fertilizing regime, our insecticide regime, all that sort of thing that we then are getting it into a, an area that we want, sort of about 4.5 to, to 6.8, I think it brings it in. So that, that's good for, for some of our species, but they don't all work with that. 
And then we've done tests where we haven't used pH buffer and we've just done our normal fertilizing regime and it's still getting good results. One thing we have noticed because of our media, how it used to be and having a lot more organic content, it was at one stage 50-50 between organic and inorganic, is we're finding that the tests where we've got organic, some organic, about 20%, is not doing as well as the complete inorganic because we use perlite um, as part of that and then the sacodama and we're finding really good results going completely away from the the organic part so it it's it's possibly sort of like a, a transition scenario where we need to get people interested and we've got various media that we're sort of getting it going and it's still got some organic but it's actually been quite amazing to see the differences that we've got. Um, so yeah, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. It's a lot easier to work with your trees. It's a lot easier to sort of, you know, being able to specifically fertilize or get a tree to a certain point, which we've seen overseas. They'll not fertilize this blanket for everything. So we're now separating our deciduous to our evergreens, where I think probably about five years ago, we never used to do that. Um, it used to be just straight fertilizing that set. We never used to sort of change them up very much. So it's giving it a lot more variability to be able to get exactly out of the tree that you want to. Um, and you've still got the high drainage. Uh, your, your cation exchange, what we've got on our lists, what we're classified as a medium sort of uh, cation exchange, where if you look at things, um, I just want to check here, we've got a... The zeolite, we've, we've got zeolite that we've tested, and goodness gracious, that's extremely high. I think the zeolite is about 130 cc, which is absolutely crazy. It's like Kirio and those type of products. So at least it's got the cc and it is giving it to the trees because we can see it's getting a nice, it's not a shock to the system where you're getting all those nutrients and that immediately to it. So it's been very, very nice to see this past year and to see the data tests that we've been doing, how it's slow releasing that into the root system so that the trees can take that up. Well, I mean, when a tree goes into an inorganic mix, by that point, you're not really super hyper-focused on big amounts of nutrients anyway. That's kind of against what you're trying to do especially with deciduous trees or anything that's you know you're trying to keep those inner nodes short you don't want that high amount of nutrients available to the tree you want just enough to keep it happy but not so much that you're going to blow your whole design you know when spring comes around you're going to blow your whole design out of the water so i mm. mean it's not like having big cc numbers in that mix is super important anyway but having a small amount is important because you do want to, you don't want those nutrients just falling out the bottom of the pot. You want them, you want them to hold on, but you don't want them to be in overabundance. Yes, correct. And, and the testing that we saw is, you know, with, with Akadama and the way that it breaks down, your, your CEC needs oxygen. You need, you know, the, the whole triangle of elements and stuff to come through. So, we found that with Akadama, eventually the tree is not taking up nutrients. It's not getting what it needs. So it starts taking strain where with ours, you've, you've got a stable product that will then last outlast what 
the tree needs to, so that by the time you need to get to repotting with whatever species you're using, it's still doing exactly what it's supposed to, and you're not having to guess about what fertilizer do you need to do and how do I need to change my ratios now because of the breakdown of, of the acodama. So we found that that was nice, that you could sort of stabilize everything, have a, a fertilizer program that you'll work through the different seasons, changing it up as you need to, but you've always got that stable standard sort of CEC that's working through until you get to your repotting area. Yeah, and an, another thing that I noticed too was because um, another thing that's important to Akadama and most inorganic materials is particle size. And with your particular product, um, I believe that it's actually um, sifted quite a few times before it's bagged to get a more accurate particle size. Is that correct? That's correct. So after sort of it gets crushed, it gets sieved. Um, and once we've done the firing process, it gets sieved again. It's very high grade industrial sieves that we use. So it's not just throwing it into, you know, a drum and hoping you get the right sort of stuff coming out. So it's specialized equipment that was actually built for Sakodama to, to get the particle sizes exactly the way we want them to get the grading that we're looking for because it's very difficult to find a standard grade in the world because everything is so out there there's there's huge variances in grade so it took a little bit of research and speaking to some of the bonsai professionals to to figure out what's going to be most usable for you know our trees the different sizes all that sort of thing and that's why we came up with the one to three, the three to five, and the five to eight. Obviously, in time, as we see things need to be adjusted, we can adjust the sieves and we can then get some variance depending on what people are seeing and what results. So, you know, this is a very collaborative product where you can actually, you know, speak to a distributor, speak to, you know, the manufacturers and go, well, we want to change this a little bit. And this is what we're finding. And if we're finding it worldwide, then yeah, let, let's start changing it and edit, editing it so that at least we know we're always working towards a better and better product. Um, the nice thing is we've got a really good base to start with. So, you know, from there, tweaking it and, and you know, figuring things out between all of our growers, I find that very exciting. Um, and that's part of the reason why I like to do the technical side of it and, you know, speak to everyone because we're all learning so much throughout this whole process and information is is really, if you take the last few years, it's changed dramatically how people see substrates, how everyone is using them and the results that they're getting. So it's actually quite a nice time to, to really start experiencing this. Yeah, and I, I think those, um, those grades that you do have, the one to three, the three to five and the five to eight, I think they're a nice grade to have, um, you know, they're going to be easier to sort out. And unlike some of the other substrates that are on the market, they, they you know, some of them go up to, you know, about 12 mil. Um, and, you know, there's some pretty big particle sizes for some pretty small trees, you know. <laughs> Even some of the, the larger trees out there, you know, I, I don't see people using, you know, particle sizes quite that big. Um, so... You know, we're, we're coming up to our repotting season here and, you know, I'm keen to start getting into it and start putting it in some of my trees already. Um, 
and even here at Bonsai Inn, I think I got I got sixty bags of it um, just over a week and a bit ago, and it's nearly all gone. So, I mean, we're having no trouble moving it here. People are people are excited about it here, um, and I think you know after they hear this podcast too, they'll be a bit more excited. But um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the firing temperature of 600 degrees because um, I believe this is probably the highest fired Akadaman that's available on the market. As far as we know, yes. Um, so most of them are just heat treated or sort of dried um, when they mine. So a lot of the Japanese Akadaman is, is literally just dried and it's mainly the volcanic sort of heat that that gives them their temperatures that they specify which is sometimes difficult to to decipher as well so we, we've figured out that 300 to 400 degrees is about where those sort of ones stand and we do know in europe that there is another supplier that that sort of starts serving the stuff from from japan and then will fire it a little bit higher we, we don't know what they're firing to but the the nice thing is the 600c has been tested in the labs to to know that it's a good temperature and throughout all of our testing especially when we did the freeze thaw you know there is a little bit of breakdown so it's it's not like if you fire clay for for pottery example we our minimum that we fire to to get our pots to a a sort of a preparation area for glazing is 900 and even at that temperature you can put it outside and, and it will it will weather so you know 600 is still a good temp it's not too high and it's the most important is it's not too low that you're getting that passive break, breakdown so we we've seen through the lab tests that it's doing well and i know with the freeze thaw cycle we did about 10 cycles and it lost about 2% to 3%, you know, of the volume uh, with degradation. But obviously putting that with a tree and root development and all that, but the nice thing is it's it's stable, so you're not going to get that problem. Yeah, it's kind of a fine line between firing too high to the point where the roots can't actually break down the Akadama but firing it higher enough that you do get that stability. Exactly. And that's why we found that, you know, being a new product, it's always difficult to introduce something onto the market. And because of bonsai being such a niche sort of thing and people really knowing what, what they want and what they're talking about, it, it it's tricky because, you know, they're used to the old stuff and they're used to what they've been getting. And then when you come with a new product, it's like, okay, what are you doing? Why is it different? You know, why are you doing all these things? And we found that just judging a book by its cover, by, you know, looking at the stuff, you know, having a look just dry out of the bag, doesn't tell the full story of the product. As soon as you wet it and you actually see it in action, especially when we've had our trees with the moss coverings over the Chilean, you know, the, the sphagnum moss, We've had beautiful rootage directly under that, and you can actually see the penetration into the particles and see that fine root growth that we're trying to get. So it's it's been very, very nice to see that it's working exactly the way that we expect. And obviously in South Africa, we're still at the beginning, so we need to still change our ratios and work with different substrates and play around as much as we can to get the most out of 
sacred armor and everything else that we're using. Yeah, and I think too, um, you know, when, when it comes time for repotting, hopefully having that higher temperature and that higher stability, you know, estimating that it's going to last three to five years, um, you know, because I know that one of the problems with traditional Akadama is that once it breaks down too far, you've got a combination of you've got really fine roots and then you've got a really compacted clay around those fine roots. So that makes it very difficult to repot the tree because you're trying to get this compacted clay off a very delicate root without tearing away all those roots that you've just spent two, three, four years, five years making, and then you come along for repotting time, start moving, removing that broken down akadama, and it's ripping all those fine roots off. So it'll be exciting to see whether you know, having this higher fired Akadama will actually still give you that scalability of the root system, but also prevent tearing off those fine roots during the repotting process. Yes, and, and that's what we're expecting as well. That's why we the estimation is, is three to five years because we expect it to, it will eventually break up completely. Um, it's guaranteed. Um, but as long as we can have a good cycle that fits most trees that you don't have to now have a second armor that's fired higher for these trees and lower for these trees because then it just becomes really tricky with mixing and people having their substrates you know and and costly as well you know we want to try and make it as cost effective as possible because people need to use it and they need to be able to improve their 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 stock so yeah we're expecting it to be really easy to remove um especially what we found going away from organic um by us so it's already a lot easier because we've had a lot more sort of stone and that sort of thing in the past but if anything's to go by it should just fall away really really nicely and you will obviously have a little bit that will be caught up in the fine roots because the roots do want to go into it um, but yeah, we, we expecting a lot. So a lot of our trees that we've potted this last season, we'll be re repotting them again and checking this all, getting information, getting the photos through to everyone. But from what we've been able to see just during the season and the amount of root growth within about a month and a half, we could see fine roots going right towards the outside of the pot, doing what they need to. Um, we've had lots of fine roots coming through the, the drainage already and no huge roots, especially like on our, on our figs. Figs tend to have huge, massive roots on them. And we don't see that sort of circling around the pot at all in the new mix. So that's really a good sign that you're not getting these huge obstructive root systems. Everything that we're developing, we could actually use and utilize for the new, the new design and health of the tree. Yeah, you always see those trees with the big roots like big roots like the figs and the the privets and that they start actually pushing the tree up out of the pot it starts you know basically rising up above the lip of the pot so you know it'd be good to to maybe see how it reacts with that um but something that you were talking about before was the something that's probably going to be exciting for a lot of people is the stability of the sakadama in colder environments because i know that um, 
you know, I've spoken to some people in Canada that have said that they haven't been able to use Akadama because obviously the, the hyper breakdown of it. Um, so hopefully if you can, you know, start getting some of these bags off to places like that. Um, have, have you had any interest from some of those cold places yet? So our U.S. distributor distributes obviously to the whole of U.S. and probably parts of Alaska. I'm not sure if they've sent anything up there yet, but so far we've had very good reviews of the product. Um, they have gone through, this is now their growing season that they've got. We're going into winter, so there'll be a lot of good testing and that being done by them. We've got uh, Bjorn uh, in Nashville as well, that's also testing a whole bunch of our Sacadama range and mixing into his nursery stock and different sort of trees at different um, stages. So with with just the, the data that we were testing, we, we couldn't really, I think it would probably take about 200 cycles or more to fully break down Sacadama because I think with the 30 of, I think it was between 30 and 50 cycles we did, it, it didn't do much. Um, which which was really, really nice to see. So, yeah, we're expecting very good results further up in Europe um, and then in America, and time will obviously tell. Uh, we've done all the stuff and the tests that we could in the labs, which show very good results, but, you know, real, there's nothing that takes away the real-world, you know, experience and that sort of thing. So that's why we, we're in constant connection with all of our distributors, asking them to speak to their their customers and any other retailers that they're selling to so that we know what's going on all the way around the world so that we can improve. Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, with the, the firing, there's a fine line between just right and, you know, not enough or too much. And it's the same, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't use Akadama because it breaks down and it always makes me laugh because I'm like, that's the whole point. Like you, you want it to break down. I, I understand that you don't want it to break down in six months or a year or whatever, but you know, that's the point of Akadama. You, you want it to break down, but you want it to break down, you know, within a good amount of time you want to get, you know, for your junipers and your pines, you want to get at least four or five years out of it. Um, that way you can get onto that, that repotting cycle, which I believe that this product is going to get us. Um, I, I'm actually excited to try it in 100% mixes too, just to see how that how that acts, and then obviously mixing it in with things like pumice, kitty um, you know, lava rock, those kinds of things. Um, you know, like you, I use a lot of perlite here. I mainly use that in our development mixes. <clears throat> um but yeah, it's going to be exciting to see. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to, to touch base on too was um, your the way you transport um, your Sakadama. Um, how is that done? How do you prevent? Because I, I know that some of the other the Akadamas, um, they're probably transported a little bit... Um, rough i guess you could say and, and that kind of helps that you know it's the transport with the lower quality akadama kind of breaks it down before it gets to the end user um how are you guys transporting um your product 
So, yeah, we, we're trying to minimize handling as much as we can. So at, at this point, once it's been packed at the mine, um, it gets bagged, it gets then the stickers get put on to specify the different grades. And from there, it literally they drop the container off right at the packaging department so that it gets packed on pallets into the, the container. Everything is wrapped. We've, we've had a few teething problems where we've been trying to figure out how much you can get on a pallet, what is viable. We, we at one stage got, I think, 1.8 tons on a pallet, but then they started like moving over to one side and not being very stable and damaging bags and things like that. So we, we've changed it quite a bit since we started everything. And yeah, once they're wrapped and inside the container, you know, they, they get dropped off at all of our suppliers around the world. So it's nice that it's in a container, it goes to one destination, doesn't get opened and taken by the port. So it's one container, goes through to who our distributors are, and they then distribute from there. And we found that from everyone that we've spoken to, it's been very good that they haven't found much dust at the bottom, even with a lot more handling and like the end users, they've, they've all commented on the lack of dust in the bags. And part of that is obviously the good sieving that we're doing, but part of it is the heat treatment and yeah, just making sure that our pallets are nice and secure and we handle it as, as little as possible. Yeah. And I mean, I know that for quite a few years now too, we've been somewhat looking for that replacement of the traditional akadama because we know that it's a finite resource in Japan. It's not something that's going to be around forever. And once we run out, we run out. And, you know, there's people out there using all kinds of things to try and, you know, replace akadama, um, things like kitty litter and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you believe what you have is probably going to be the replacement for the Akadama? What what is your what do you think the supplies like? What you're mining, is there a lot of it available? Yes, so I don't know the exact numbers, but the mine I think specified at one stage that I think there's 12, 12 million tons, which is a, a light estimate on on what's available um it, obviously it's a, it's in different layers and things like that and the funny thing that i haven't really said before was if you look at the mining operation we've got in the mining operations in japan they look very very similar the the sort of area that they're mining in and how they're doing it and obviously we've got a few more extra production and, and machinery that goes with it but there's there's quite a lot there and it's a very established mine uh, they use the same product for quite a few other things as well. So that's why we were very certain when we started this that it's going to be a high-grade product because they use, obviously, with different sort of production methods and heating and that, they you can actually get a kitty litter out of it um, and you can get a oil-absorbing sort of industrial product like that as well. So... It, it's a very versatile deposit that, that they've got. Um, so we, we find that with what we're doing, it sort of works hand in hand with their production and the quality and all that sort of thing. And they're not stopping anytime soon. Um, we, we just obviously 
to, to call it a replacement is it's sort of tongue in cheek because you know yes it's a clay but it's not a exact replica of what you find in Japan which which should be obvious because you miles apart so but the the deposit and the way that the structure is and the way that we producing it is very very key to being able to say that it is a type of akadama um, because a lot of people think that akadama it's that it's 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 branded and that sort of thing and it's actually just the wording it's just what they call the clay so there is no trademarks there is nothing like that on akadama that that you know worldwide that we could see so you know to say it's a replacement yes i think eventually in time as we get used to it i think people will realize that you know they've got a good product but you can't really it's not one to one and like we said with the cec there's there's differences but as far as i'm concerned it's advantages that make it different to to akadama it's a small things that that will help us in in the future well that's the thing like when i talk about replacement you don't have to have the exact same product what you have to have is good results and something that's usable so yeah. if 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 that's there it doesn't really matter what it's made up of if, if you're getting those results and those results are positive and it's something that's sustainable and it's something that's available it's something that can be you know shipped around the world and people have access to it you know almost everywhere because i know at the moment akadama supply is very very short in in australia for the last oh man probably over a year we've been having trouble getting our hands on any kind of akadama um so you know if we've got something that's getting those results then i would call that you know maybe not a replacement but at least something that is getting good quality results and it's doing the same thing as akadama is and like you said, I think you said that you've got um, some photos of it under the microscope and it's got that exact same tubular structure that Akadama does. Correct. Yeah. So the roots can get into that and that's important. You know, you look at perlite and other substrates and they're more like a like a popcorn sort of thing. So it's lots of holes and crevices and that where the tubular structure is actually what makes Akadama so good and why we're always looking at clay versus other type of substrates as, as our base in our media. So, yeah, it, it's got that, which has been proven. So, you know, everything else is just an advantage from there. And yeah, we've, we've got the capacity. I think the mine can generate 300 tons a month um, out of their production plants. So we, we have no problem getting it out, shipping it all over the world, uh, making sure the quality is right. There's a whole team behind this, you know, me included, checking that customers are happy, figuring out the teething problems. Because right in the beginning, when we sent stuff overseas, bags had broken open and there was problems with the printing. And there's been a whole, you, you don't even know how much we've actually gone through in the last sort of couple of years. But it, it's part of the process. Nothing starts out perfect. So we want to fix all those things, make sure the end user is happy, make sure that the, the product is always the highest quality that we can make. And yeah, that's what we've based it on. So 
yeah, it, it's definitely not going to be a problem because we've also had from the US, they can't get Akadama in. It's costing about double the price. Some of the guys are having actually having to ship it from Japan to China to be able to get it over into the US, which is just creating huge, huge problems. So definitely no problem with supply. And yeah, the mine is, is doing small improvements all the time to make sure that if there's large downpours of rain, that there's good large sort of cement areas that they can work and there's not huge impactions on the mining of it and the production and all that sort of thing. So it, it's getting better and better all the time. Yeah, awesome. That's um it's reassuring to hear, you know, that that kind of thing, especially, you know, there's nothing worse than coming up to repotting time and you've got trees that need doing and you just don't have the product to do it. Exactly. We have had the same, you know, you can't find stuff and when we were using the rock substrates, we were using dolomite. And then they change the sizing and because they don't want to look at a small sort of bonsai nursery, they want to do a hundred tons at a specific size and it's just not viable for us. So we, we found that this is really helping that we've got a stable product. We've got something that we know we can get stock. There's always supplies that are kept one side for orders that need to go out fast. So we've got another container that, that's going to be on its way to Australia quite soon. So we can produce and send, you know, once a month to, you know, however many we need to, um, to get it across and make sure that, that there's always stock for everyone. Uh, so that you'd never have to stress about that. What, when you were saying before you've um, you've been testing it within your own trees now for about a year, um, what what are the, some some of the mixes that you've started off with so far? Ratios and other components and things like that. So we've got three mixes we're currently working with and it and it's variations of what we used to use when we had rock and we did have a little bit of perlite in at that stage. Um, like I said before, we used to have a 50-50 sort of a mixture um, and we're going further and further away from, from the organic. So we've got a what we call a retail mix, which has got a 30% organic. We start with a base of 50% perlite, 50% sacodama which are very close in their grading. The, the perlite is also manufactured by the same mine uh, that gets imported from Turkey, as far as I know. So it's a very high grade, um, you know, sort of raw material that they're using. And, and um, we use that from that point onwards, you then add the specifics of your organics. So we've got a retail, we've got a premium, which has got 20%, which is about as high as I've gone with my trees, um, because I don't feel the 33% that we've got of the organic in the retail, you know, we want to get away from it. So that is almost like an intermediate sort of thing and a beginner mix just to get people used to the fact and education, all that sort of thing. Um, so the premium we've been using a lot and then our, what we call Acapurl, so Acadama um, or Sacadama and the Perlite. Uh, 50 50 and yeah we've actually found better results with the the acapel than than the premium mix um, we've had same species same environment uh, more or less the same sort of age of the trees and that sort of thing and the acapel is definitely doing very well we we do want to in time introduce a little bit of the zeolite so for extra cc for junipers and for the 
those those type of trees but that's what we've got at the moment we, we've only just sort of scratched the surface of what we can do what we can mix we've got a guy in durban one of our distributors who's also testing out a mix that's got leaker in it that's got zeolite in it and then very little pine bark as well so we're going to sort of chat with everyone and, and see how things go but so far, the perlite and sacodama mix is working well. Uh, we don't really get pumice here because it, once again, costly. Uh, it's sometimes the same price as your acodama from Japan. So we're not really going with that at this point, but there's still lots to learn, but we're having good results on everything that we planted. And I've had a lot of people come back to us, clients that have been in Bonza for years that have said to us that they're getting amazing results. and that's like with the retail mix and the premium. Um, and they, they can't say enough of how easy it's making their life and how good the trees are growing. Um, obviously, there's a lot of education. So we've written one or two blogs explaining how to plant because most people don't wire their trees into the pots. So we've been explaining to people that you have to do this. Um, so there's been a lot of education and that's part of the reason why we're going back and forth overseas as much as we can to improve our knowledge as much as we can and pass that on to the public so that they'll get the best results with the substrates as possible. Yeah, awesome. It sounds like there's uh, exciting times ahead with this uh, this substrate. <laughs> yeah, agreed. All, all around the world. So for the, for the people listening, where can they where can they get the information um, from this uh, for this substrate? I should say. Um, I know that you know retailers will have some information on their website because I know we've got it on our web store. Um, but for anybody actually looking for the information or the blogs that you said that you've written, where would they find all that stuff? So we're busy upgrading our website at the moment. We've got the uh, blogs and stuff on willowbonsaishop.com uh, where they can read a little bit of why we developed this product and then the usage of it and the repotting procedure. Um, we've also got a Sakodama uh, website that is also under development, very, very new. And the intention with that website is to have a nice sort of central core to the product that if we've got new data or you guys come up with different mixes and find it works better for this temperature than to this temperature, those type of details we want to post onto the website with the retailers that have got it um, and where you can find it, all the different information that you can get. We'll also put a lot of that on our website as well, but we we want to make sure that that, that website, thesakadama.com, is well featured with new information all the time from growers and retailers like yourself and obviously you know all the bonsai professionals all over the world that we are at the moment you know currently working with yeah i, I think when you've got a product and especially a new product having a very transparent website with lots of information available is so helpful there's nothing worse than finding a new product and then getting on google trying to find some information about it and it just seems like it doesn't actually exist in the world correct yeah so it's been one of our main missions to get the website up and running um, to get some of the information on there which is the basics that we've been sort of working with 
but slowly over the next you know couple of months we we plan before the end of the year to have all those data tests the data sheets everything must be on there that we've accumulated and then start to add like the retailer's side where they can find it in different areas of the world and then have sort of like a news area or, or new featured so that they can go well this is general mixes that we can supply or that that we can suggest and who's been doing what and what results they've been getting a picture gallery all that sort of thing and then obviously with anything that we post we want to say well you know you guys have done planting with this so this is your results and give you feedback and put your names underneath the pictures so that we know where this is coming from what that data is so that it's not just pictures all over the place you can actually say, well, that was done in the US. This was at a, a very cold region. This was a very hot region. And you can see the data that's coming in. And that will be a constant update every single month that we can work with the product and with our customers and everyone to, to have as much information as possible. Yes, awesome. So... I think we'll wrap it up there because I think we've uh, probably given a few people a headache with <laughs> all all that information. It's a lot to take in. Um, but I, I think, you know, for, for the people listening out there, if you haven't tried Akadama or inorganic mixes, and now is the time to get into it. If, if the Sakadama is available to you, you know, at your local retailer, definitely go and get some and, try it out you know it's going to be a high quality medium we've got it here at bonsai and i've had it in my hands um you know i know it's good stuff um so you know go to your local retailer bug them to get it <laughs> um yes. and definitely try it out but thank you so much for your time today and coming on and um you know talking a bit about akadama and hopefully clearing up you know some of the questions that people might have about the product and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yep, uh, you and me both. We we can't wait. It's it's a very exciting period from now on. But thanks for having us there. And yeah, if anyone has any further questions, send it through to us. We'll keep communication with everyone. We we want to do our best to to service you know the product and the clients as well as we can. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Josh. Keep well.